and welcome to episode minus one of Behind <laughs> the Geek. I am joined today by three of the top geeks in the world who are going to talk geek and business. Nigel Moore, Pete Matson, Scott Riley, and myself, Richard Tubb. Thank you for joining us. What are we going to talk about today? Well, you know, this is all Nigel's fault. Nigel brought us all together and said, I think it would be really cool if the four of us got together and talked tech and talked business. So we all foolishly agreed to it. So if you are watching this, well, first of all, it's your own fault for watching it. And secondly, it's Nigel's fault for putting it together. What are we going to talk about today, though? We're going to talk about what we've been up to exciting in the world of tech over the past few weeks. We're going to talk about the recent news, including the Facebook outage, the Twitch breach. Uh, we're going to talk about Ireland setting a minimum tax for tech firms. We're going to talk about the Isle of Wight school hack if you've not heard about that that's a little bit scary and a little bit enlightening as well and we're going to talk about the windows 11 launch which i'm going to have a proper rant about as well we're going to talk about cool and inspiring tech we're going to talk about lots of stuff so stick around as we go behind the geek but nigel i'm going to pick on you first of all this is all your fault my friend what's going on i just like playing with new software <laughs> i just wanted to <laughs> That is not what you said like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> no, it's right. When I got everything wrong and broke the whole thing. But um, that, that's why I, I don't own an MSP anymore, because if I did, it would be very dangerous for my clients, I suspect. But, uh, the, the thing, like, th this whole idea is that uh, like you've, we've got Pete on here who's, who's bought and uh, built and sold an MSP. We've got Richard who's built and sold an MSP. We've got Scott who's built an awesome a little MSP over in, a nimble MSP, I should say, over in the UK. And we've got me, and we love talking MSP business. We love talking MSP tech. We love diving into these topics and sharing our journey. And, and I'm not going to say the word wisdom because that's probably too pretentious. I'm going to say the lessons that we've learned and the, the, all the things that were broken along the way. And the goal with this is just to have an outlet for all of us to be able to jump on and and share a bit with our fellow MSPs out there and have a space where we can talk about the topics that are tough topics in the industry or the the fun topics or the the ideas of where the industry is going. And I think it's going to be fun. I've, I've never been on a live stream with four other people before, so I suspect we're going to talk over each other the whole bloody time. Uh, I suspect we're going to click buttons to break things the whole time because I don't know how to use any of this software yet. But but outside of the whole thing, it's really just a, an outlet for us to to have those business level conversations in a format like this, in a bit of a fun, entertaining show. Some of these guys are a little bit funny sometimes. I'm not too sure about that Richard Tubb fellow though. He's um he's a bit of trouble. But I think the whole goal is this is just to have a little bit of fun uh, and get some some of those conversations happening in our space and um and hopefully maybe getting a viewer or two as we go through the process because if we get to <laughs> Week five, and we've had one view of this whole thing, then we're probably doing something wrong. But I'm going to hand it back over to you, Richard, who I think is going to lead us through, if we get yeah. things right, going to lead us through a, a step or two of um, what we might talk about on this particular one. Well, let's see what we can do about that. So something – sorry, Pete, go ahead, mate. I was going to add in very briefly before we get started, um, I've just pasted into the LinkedIn because we're, we're broadcasting right now across everyone's social channels. We've got Nigel on the Tech Tribes there's like three subscribers to the Tech Tribes YouTube channel. We've got Scott's <laughs> channel. We've got Richard's. We've got my own channels. So if you are watching this, um, I have pasted this, I think, on my LinkedIn. So I think only people watching my LinkedIn will see the, the link. Um, I don't know if Scott, Richard, and, and Nigel, if you can paste in that link into your various social chats somehow. Oh, yeah. Um, but there will be a link down below, hopefully, of what you're watching. Please do subscribe to the Tech Tribe channel so that it actually makes future live streams a lot easier it will be means we can go out on just the one channel rather than having like 15 streams going out at once so uh, just be subscribed and uh yeah carry on richard thank you where's that link so i can post it to mine uh in the private oh. chat oh it's in the private chat right too many bloody chats around here you can grab that <laughs> there we go. and see this is why you don't just leave it to me and nigel we haven't yeah. got a bloody clue what's going on. That's why uh, Pete jumped in and was like, this is how you start <laughs> off a live stream. This is how you do it. So Pete and Scott absolutely know what they've going on. They've got thriving YouTube channels. They're absolutely awesome at this. Uh, yeah, Nigel and I are just along for the ride, basically. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're the yeah. old boys that have no idea what we're doing, <laughs> leaving up to these young whippersnappers to go and tell us what to do and uh, get us around oh, this man. It's been a long time since I've been called young. I will take it. <laughs> so I, I want to pick up on something that Nigel said right at the start about why we're doing this whole thing to get together as a bit of an outlet. And, you know, people want to be engaged and want to have these conversations. Scott, 
on that line, you and I were in London last week for the big CompTIA EMEA conference, and I would yeah. say uh, there was it was a really it was a great event. It was really strange though, wasn't it, to see human beings face to face? And I tell you what, I got properly social anxious going there because I'm like, oh my god, there's and I'm an extrovert, but there was all these people. I didn't know whether to elbow bump, shake hands, <laughs> give them a hug, give them a hug. So I wasn't yeah. sure. And, and come to you were great. They put like little um, stickers or wristbands on us, didn't they? Saying, you know, orange for shaking hands, red for like, stay away from me. A green I did not see those. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I did. I, I didn't even know was a thing. But so it was a really good event for anybody not familiar with uh, CompTIA, uh, almost like a trade association in the uh, in the IT industry and uh, run some great communities, been great friends to us at the Tech Tribe and everybody within the MSP community. But they normally have an annual EMEA conference and you can typically expect about 500 or so people there. Scott, I think it was probably about 70%, wasn't it, of, of yeah, what we can normally yeah, yeah. expect? But I tell you what I found is like they had all the I felt sorry for anyone who'd chosen or volunteered to do like a speaking event at one of the like on stage bits because we had like the little I think of it as like a little market hall where all the vendors are there and everyone wants to talk to everyone. Everyone just came in and just stayed there. Because there was like there was people, and you could talk to real people, and they're like, oh, "Guys, we're doing the keynote speech." Like nobody went. Everyone was just, "Oh, it's so good to see people." Oh. so I went into like one of the main events, and like it was built for like at least 300, 400 people. There was like twenty five people sat in there, and like four people who've obviously prepared this content to share. And they're like, "Oh, I'm speaking at the CompTIA conference." Like nobody was there. Everyone was just outside chatting to each other and it was genuinely lovely to see people i had so many conversations with people i haven't seen in real life i've only seen them on teams or zoom or whatever and the first thing one of those people came up to me and said was i get it i'm a lot shorter in real life <laughs> i was like oh man <laughs> but you've only so like eye levels like this isn't it it was. Yeah, it was really nice. I, I had such a nice time. And I'm an introvert, right? You, you put me on stage, you put me on like a, a camera like this. I'm fine. I can do this all day, as Captain America says. But you put me in a room, say, hey, go and just talk to some people that you don't know. <laughs> but I, I had a great time. And of course, we had a, a Tech Tribe meetup as well for lunch on the second day. That was awesome. Just to see yeah. so many people who are normally in those little circles, you know, with the little icons that you see on the Tech Tribe <laughs> exactly. forum. And I'm like, that's Chris Tim. I recognize you from your little circle. Uh, but yeah, that was that he was shorter than you? <laughs> he was. Yes. It's a win. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> but no, I had, I had an awesome time. It was really good. Yeah. Really good. It was good. really good. And I think for anybody uh, watching this and Nigel Pete, you'll probably agree, you know, going to these conferences, the real value in the conferences. Obviously, it's great to have brilliant speakers and all of us have done the public speaking and things. It, you know, it's great to have the breakout sessions. But the real value in these conferences is nearly always the conversations that you have in the bar, in the corridors, in the coffee shops afterwards. And as Scott said, at CompTIA last week, and, you know, huge thanks to Estelle and Leanne and the whole team at CompTIA for putting this together because I know they were proper nervous about if anybody would turn up for it. Yeah. But yeah, the real yeah. value... We just got so many cool people from the European MSP community together. And, yeah, we didn't really need a conference. We could have just said, let's all get together in this room this day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're really glad they did it. It was awesome. <laughs> no, it was amazing. Done, I, I, yeah, love the I wonder if they'll start well, adjusting done, conference formats now to not have keynotes and not have stages as much because <laughs> people just love that. That Like, it really is. And you, you're right. Even 10 years ago, it was still the same. You'd go to a conference. And you'd look at the list and you'd go, oh, like out of the 25 sessions, there's three that I want to go to. I'm going to spend the rest of my time in the vendor hall and with everybody hanging around because that's really what I go to the conferences for. And I suspect this whole pandemic where people have um, shifted to that online and they've realized that people aren't turning up to, to the Zoom kind of call webinars anymore, they've realized that the value isn't so much in the, the keynote speakers as much anymore. It's in the, the getting people collectively in a room and having those awesome conversations because I'm sure all of us here, we have built so many amazing relationships out of being at those those events. I can't tell you a single, maybe there's two keynotes out of the 50 conferences I've been to that I can remember, but I'll tell you what, I can remember all the people that I've met at those conferences. 
Yeah, absolutely. But it was a, it was a great event. Great to see people together at last. And, you know, to your point, at, right at the start here, Nigel, where you said like an outlet for people to have conversations, it just felt like that. It just felt like people wanted to get together to chat and to, you know, to, to have a hug, to, uh, to commiserate, Are you allowed to, to hug? celebrate. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm a hugger, as you know, yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. hugging left, right, center. Whether that's socially acceptable or not at the moment, I don't know. But people were accepting the hugs, whether they wanted to or not. So, yeah. <laughs> but along, along those same lines, we had the... Say again, Scott? I was gonna. I was gonna that say was that. What, what happened with DantaCon? Because didn't last minute it got changed to a virtual yes, event rather than a, the in-person. Very short Yeah, uh, they had a big, big, big plan, event planned, and and loads of like millions of dollars, I'm sure, invested in this thing. And at the last minute, they've had some pretty horrible outbreaks up in Seattle, and so they had to make that decision to to pull it back to virtual only. And from what I've seen behind the scenes, the virtual event they're they're going all out in the virtual event. It's still going to be awesome, but uh, horrible for them, horrible for everybody that was prepared to go. We had Tech Tribe was planning meetups and we had a couple of people on team going and everything. And so unfortunately, I think we're still going to be, some events are still going to fall victim to this over the, the next coming months and maybe even year as things happen. But yeah. glad that CompTIA one did happen. It's kind of given people faith that we we still can do these things and and we'll fit them in where we can and and hopefully... Um, Seattle will settle down or whatever will happen and bigger ones over in the US can kick back off again and same out here in Australia not that we have big ones in Australia because we don't have enough people but um, <laughs> but the bigger ones can kick myself, back off again if they're UK shows I'm good but if they're overseas at the moment I'm kind of taking a bit of a bit caution I, next year yeah. I hope things will get a lot easier but certainly this year it's yeah. it's been chopped and changed so many times and trying to rearrange flights and everything I've kind of I've just given up for the rest of this year I think yeah, right. are you in well, the UK are you guys allowed to leave the UK at the moment yeah. Yeah. Right, and it's, right. it's, been, it's been relaxed right. again soon, isn't it? Right. I think, yeah, start right. of November, they're talking about uh, making it easier to to travel abroad or relaxing right. the, uh, the rules okay. on that. So we're, yeah. we're still completely blocked. So even if I, Datacon stayed on, I still wouldn't be allowed to cross to it. We're, but I think we open up for first lots of international travel in a year and a bit in November, I think, November or December. So yeah. I might be able to see you guys and have a hug one of these days next year. Maybe, <laughs> hopefully. I'm itching to get back across to the UK and see everyone again. Well, what, we've got DattoCon going virtual this week, haven't we? Yeah. So I know a lot of tech drivers were, were due to be out there, a bit disappointed about that. But Rob Ray and the team put on an awesome event. So I've, I've no doubt DattoCon. Yes. I believe DattoCon kicks off today. I think it kicks off today. I think it so, was, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And then next week in Las Vegas, and it's still going ahead, uh, in-person event. That's Kaseya Connect, their global event. Um, so that that would be an interesting one. And then I do know that uh, Kaseya's Connect Europe, which I was looking forward to speaking about in Amsterdam next month, and that has gone virtual. So that, you know, interesting to see who's made the decision to go virtual, who's still going ahead. But fingers crossed you know, we'll be having more in-person live events like the CompTIA one because it was pretty, pretty damn awesome to see people, human beings. <laughs> yes, oh, it was amazing. It was really nice. And then you've got South Coast Summit is happening in the UK as well. The end of this week, I think. That's on the 16th. Down here, yeah. Um, South Coast here in the uh, GS Bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's that really I'm good. Very, I know very this... pleased to see, actually, because there's... Um... The, the, the thing our Southerners have over here is that every single event in the UK is in London, and even it's... <laughs> It's only like, what is it? Probably like 80 miles from here. It's not actually that far. But just to get into London and back out again, it's a full day's worth of travel. It takes a yeah. very, very long time. It doesn't matter yeah. whether you get the train, whether you drive. But for us to actually have a, an event here on the South Coast was was just magic. And it's, <laughs> and it's a decent event. I mean, it's, it's basically a Microsoft kind of Ignite type event with all the workshops they're putting on. All right. Oh, wow. Who puts that one on? That's really cool. So I, I think it's an independent company, but they've got some right. very good sponsors. Obviously, lots of vendors are going to get involved as well. It looks very, very big. I think it's going to be on every year by the looks of things. So, cool. yeah, really excited to see what they do with that. Cool. Nice. Mm. What do we got next, Richard? We had some local and, and events talking, for us. Talking of in-person events, this yeah. is super exciting. Yeah. Um, so in the Tech Tribe, we have put together the pilot of what we hope will what we know will be a global scheme eventually, but we've started to put together local tribal gatherings, local user groups. Now, the background to this one is, so Nigel mentioned that, uh, you know, we've built, sold MSP businesses. Nigel and I both built our businesses off the back of communities. We went along, you, Nigel, was it the SMBIT Pro community? Yeah, SMBIT Pro out yep. here in Australia. Yep. 
Here in the UK, we had what historically was called the SBSC, the Small Business Specialist Community, all around small business server and that. Anyway, these communities are awesome. You get together, you talk about business, you talk about what's going right, you talk about what's going wrong, you talk about tools, you talk about technology, all these good things. And it was a real outlet for um, for people like Nigel and myself to listen and to learn from other people, to exchange ideas. But sadly, and this is pre-pandemic, sadly, those sort of groups died out for, you know, for one reason or another over the years, and it left a big gap. And of course, the pandemic just put a complete, <laughs> you know, stop to that. Those groups were totally dead. So we were having the conversation, weren't we, Nigel, about, you know, we want to sort of reignite, we want to re-kickstart these groups. Uh, and that's exactly what we did. So we started off with a group here in my uh, uh, adopted hometown of Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Uh, we did that last month. And in fact, this week we had our second meeting. We got together. We taught recruitment. We talked outsourcing uh, as a roundtable. Uh, we had pizza. And then we talked the state of the vendor market. And that was an interesting conversation, <laughs> let me tell you. We've also got... We got a group kicked off by uh, our good friends uh, Robert Gibbons and Dave Barretton. They kicked off a group in Manchester, and the guys at Zen uh, uh, Zen Internet, Zen Software, very very kindly uh, let us uh, use their boardroom there. We got together, and there was MSPs from all across the northwest of England talking business. Uh, Gareth Westwood started a group down in Staffordshire. We've had a group get together in the pub. Where else? In Ireland, in Dublin. Uh, and we've got groups starting in Birmingham. In, I think that's a sweeping a observation, by the way. the Irish group, where were they going to join? You can't do that. But we've got a group starting in Edinburgh next month. We've got groups in Birmingham. Scott, you're talking about running a group in uh, uh, Leeds, potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah in sunny Leeds. Course. Look, it's, it's sunny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Proper exciting for people to get together in the room. Yeah. And again, this is the, the thing. We talked about CompTIA. We talked about getting together here. I don't know why I'm doing that, just because I can see all four of you. But just getting together in person and having conversations about running business because – it is a tough gig, isn't it, running an MSP? It can be lonely. Don't try and do it on your own. So, yeah, that's that's the plan behind it. Yeah, absolutely. I am so keen for to see these events all around the place. For me, same as you, Richard, the, the community was pivotal to me, in my, especially in my early years in the MSP. I remember probably the first year of my MSP, I had no idea or notion that this community around IT support existed. And I remember going to my first ever SBS user group. I think it was called the SBS user group as well for us back then right. uh, before it changed to SMB IT Pro. But it was hosted at the Microsoft building. They used to give us space for it. And I turned up to this event. I have no idea how I found out about it, but I turned up to it and um, sat in this room. And, and here's all my competitors. And I looked at it and went, holy crap, this is scary as all hell. I'm looking at them all and and they're talking up the front about like what they're doing in their business. And I'm going, hang on, why are you telling me this? I'm your competitor. Like, What's going on here? And then we, we had a break and and I remember like kind of sheepishly just hanging in the corner like you guys were talking about before. And one of the guys came up and spoke to me, uh, an awesome gentleman called Mark Giles, who's still in the, the he's in the tech tribe nowadays. And I, I still speak to him every now and then. And uh, we got to talking and, and he ran an MSP about, 15 kilometers away from, from where um, I was. And, um, and I said, oh, I'm kind of trying to learn about all this managed service stuff and figure out how to put my plans together and whatever. And he goes, oh, what's your email address? And I went, oh, like, is he going to spam me or what's going on here? <laughs> and, and so I give it to him and he goes, oh, I'm just sending you my managed service agreement template. And I went, huh? Like my mind just went, <laughs> like, here's my competitor 15 kilometers away from me sharing it. And to me, that kicked off the entire like it just shifted my whole perspective on our industry then and in that we're not an industry of competitors. We're an industry of peers. And and MSP owners traditionally just, they, we nearly love helping our competitors more than we love helping ourselves sometimes. And and I, I love the the whole uh, giving back and giving to others and helping others that, that our whole industry has as a whole. And, and I think it comes from that whole, all of us, like we run an MSP because we love technology, number one. But we also just love helping people. And it doesn't yeah. matter whether that person's a customer or a competitor. We just love helping them. And, and that's what I built the Tech Tribe for. It's what we're having this call for. It's what these meetings are all about all around the place. It's just getting that whole community back together and having a, a container and a space where everybody can, can chat again and help each other again. Because as, as a, the old saying goes, a rising tide floats all boats. It's not about competition. It's about co-opetition. How can we all help each other? Uh, be a better industry for the clients that, that they're all served by everybody out there. End of my rant. Let's get my rant. I had that thought about LinkedIn as well, because when I first, you know, when you first get going with your own business and you're on LinkedIn and 
you, you're like, should you connect with your competitors on LinkedIn? And there's a whole, <laughs> they're going to see my clients. They're going to see who I'm talking to and prospecting and all that kind of stuff. That was a big concern. And actually one of the, I think one of the best things I've seen come out of the, the whole pandemic from the last year is just the amount of support between MSPs. I mean, I know there was a bit of it before, but my God, I've seen so many like WhatsApp groups just spin up. And, and there's one I'm a member of that I've had to mute it because it's, it's so busy with people <laughs> chatting and helping each other out. And, and oh, I need a contract that can come and do this job. And yep, I've got someone who can, we can send it. And it's so good just to see that kind of collaboration between between competitors. It's, it's bizarre, yeah. like you say, but yeah. actually the, the positives massively outweigh any negatives if there are any negatives. It's been such a nice thing to say to see across the pandemic for sure. Agreed. Agreed. We are we are in a fairly unique industry, I should say, here as well. For anybody watching in uh, from the MSP industry, because I talk to people from you know finance, recruitment, engineering, you know, friends I've got outside of the IT industry, and I talk about the peer groups and I talk about these type of things that we do. There I go doing that again. I've got to get out of that habit. Um, but people are like, "What? You get together in a room and talk with your competitors about how to make more money?" <laughs> and they were like, how does that work? And I'm like, it just works. And we are in a fairly unique industry. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, MSP rocks. Carry on. I was speaking to, uh, so, so in our space, we um, got me in a couple of coaching communities around the world of, of people that are running coaching programs similar to what the Tech Tribe is. And I was speaking to one of them that, that runs it in the hairdressing industry of all, all industries. And, um, and I was talking about us like that, exactly that. You get MSPs in a room and all they want to do is help each other. And he goes, oh, my goodness, if I got my clients all in the same room, there'd be people dead. <laughs> Like people would kill each other. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> Blew my mind. But good. We uh, we are in the right place. You are in the right place if you are watching us. Uh, it is behind the geek and it is your own fault for watching. Um, right. <laughs> let's talk about a little bit of the news that's that's going on then. So, yeah, we talked about getting together in person and, and something that's supposed to bring people together but a sort of uh, a, been a little bit divisive over the past few years, Facebook. And Facebook experienced a massive, massive outage. And it was like the end of the world for some people. Uh, for, I was going to say for a few minutes, but it was longer than that, wasn't it, Scott? How long was it? I don't know. That's a great question. It was it was long enough that I got a load of peace and quiet because normally what happens in <laughs> really, my house... Yeah, it, like, Facebook was out, WhatsApp's out, Instagram's out. Now, my wife... Uh, has family like all over the world. She's from Malawi. Most like her mum lives in Texas with her sister. They've got family in Geneva and all over the place. And what happens is it gets to kind of evening in, in our house is when I'm just starting to chill out and calm down after the stresses of the day. The kids are in bed basically and I, it's my time. What happens is my wife is, is now on the WhatsApps, right? And, and she's a very, very loud, loud, loud African woman. And she loves to just get on those WhatsApp courses. <laughs> the whole house is shaking. They tell stories to each other all the time. That night was the quietest night I've ever known. It was beautiful <laughs> in our house. And, but no, it was, it was, it was a serious issue. And it wasn't just like a simple, uh, oh, you know, like a web server's down or a web farm's down. It, like it took out the whole thing because they actually had a, a whole network block of IP ranges that just kind of essentially got delisted. Unpublished, right? Yeah. 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 And so somebody you, you know, somewhere. Um, it wasn't down detected, but there was another like, is the website down? And even that was down. I found that quite yeah. Because, <laughs> oh, wow. because there's so many systems that, that use Facebook as a login mechanism. Yeah. And so then DNS gets screwed up because all these guys are going, oh my God, I need to get to Facebook. I need to get to Facebook. I need to get, where is it? Where is it? And they just keep polling and polling. And so then it had this ripple effect that it wasn't just Facebook. It was a load of other, other systems that depended on Facebook authentication that also kind of got hit by this. And so so yeah, that that big ripple effect. What made me laugh was anyone who's worked in networking at all knows that BGP stands for Border Gateway Protocol. Great, we're all there. Not according to the BBC. According to the BBC and their news, there's a great big screenshot of the guy going, "Yes, and the bridging gap protocol." <laughs> you had I have one to say, job. It's been quite fun to see non-techies try and explain the techie stuff some of them have done really really well i've done, done a bit of research but yeah some have made a few slip-ups <laughs> yeah i mean yeah yeah good good luck to anyone trying to explain how bgp works to a simple oh, yeah. audience yeah. on the bbc breakfast yeah yeah but yeah what what i've seen as well is though that again this week they've had another outage 
Yeah. And so Facebook, really? it, wasn't, it wasn't as significant, but there's been a follow-up outage. Now, the first outage was obviously a configuration change that caused a, a screw-up. This week's outage is completely different. It's, it's a completely different thing, although there has been a configuration change, and we have had a minor outage, but it's completely different. I'm like, yeah, I go. You shot the first guy, and so you got the next guy to go, make sure that doesn't happen again. Cool. I'm just going to make this change, then that'll never happen. Oh! <laughs> That's what that button does. No wonder you got fired. I would imagine there's going to be like people like our friends at Orvic Networks and Domots. If I was their salespeople and they've got that facility to roll back uh, configuration changes, I would be on the phone right now to Facebook <laughs> saying, we've, we've got a product for you. But it wasn't just Facebook as well. So we talked about Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. So community, yeah. you might call them frivolous. Some people take it more seriously than others, of course. And you know, many people use it to stay in touch. But it's like the world's still going to carry on turning if Facebook isn't there. Uh, to a degree. But I also noticed, I think it was last Thursday, Zero, uh, the accountancy package, was down for like most of All the right. day. What was the next bit of news after that one? There was been some security breaches I saw. Yeah. So uh, Twitch. Yeah, Twitch, which uh, uh, some some of our uh, myself and other older uh, viewers may not be uh, fully aware of, but uh, <laughs> you're, you're a young dude. What is Twitch? And tell us about the breach that happened. I mean, Twitch is basically a live streaming platform predominantly for online gaming. I mean, that's that's essentially it. But, oh, wow. I mean, Twitch, literally, this is like the mother of all breaches, I guess, if you want to put it like that. But they've literally leaked the entire contents of Breach online. I think it was, was it only 150 gig, which doesn't sound like a huge amount for an entire company. <laughs> but it was the entire contents, the source code of the website, projects they've been working on earnings and names for all of the people that were streaming on twitch as well and i think there was a lot of upset where you know, local uh, it's like fans have seen how much their favorite creators are earning and actually they're earning in the millions of pounds oh, right. of dollars worth. oh, it's, gone, yeah, oh it's... hang on they're doing very well out of this yeah, yeah. i'm not going like, to click the donation you're... button anymore <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> if you if you like if you're at number one, it was like earning in the you know tens of millions of dollars a year. You have to get down to past the low uh, past the the low eighties out of their top one hundred. Get down to somewhere in the eighties before they're earning less than a million dollars a year from oh streaming. Goodness. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I play video games. I could do that. Like, apparently We're not. Yeah, now, like, where, where does our millions hit our banks? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mate, I think it's something to do with the content. I, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right, Pete. Here's <laughs> me. Yeah, I can play Halo. Yeah, the entire Tech source code for, for all of it. <laughs> Tech Tribe React to Richard Tub freezing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. It was a great face, man. It, it was a great phase. But yeah, no, the, the entire source code. Now, one of the security oh, wow. um, guys from Twitch has come along and said, hey, just so you know, that's not the current version that we use. Yeah. But like, yeah, but sh yeah, it's close enough, dude. Come on. We, we're like, yeah. They've got pretty much how the, how the sausage is made and then like what everyone's earning. So it's it's been a really big issue. Someone in chat is actually saying there's 9 million streamers. So it's it's good to put it in context. Actually, yeah, there are 9 million streamers. So actually to be in that top 80 is really hard work. But like it's yeah. it's clearly financially worth it if you can make it there. I think yeah. it's no That's different now. Like the kids way. say they want to be a streamer. Yeah, yeah. But like when I was a kid, it was like everyone wants to be a professional footballer. And like, if you can get to be a professional footballer, which is like in the tiny percent, yeah, yeah, you'll get you'll get millions. And it's the same with game streaming, I think now. Right. And there's right. going to be young kids because they've got the time to sit there all evening and play games. Like yes. none of us have got time to sit there all day. <laughs> no, uh, the last game I ever played was Quake Three Arena back in the late nineties. I don't think wow, I would yeah. work out too very well on oh, speech. Yeah. I don't think I got a career no, there. Sure. You can see all my Atari stuff and the cassettes and everything. Yeah. Not sure anybody wants to see me playing Chucky Egg for three hours. But, yeah. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Horace and the Spiders. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. So um, a little bit closer to home as well uh, in the uh, Isle of Wight. And this is, uh, you know, much, I was going to say much more serious, but of course they're all serious things. But there was a school hack, wasn't there, in the Isle of Wight? Pete, tell us about this and what the implications were yeah, as well. This has been really interesting, particularly because it's very close to home. You know, Isle of Wight's a stone's throw away from me. But from what I've heard, basically the pretty much the entire of Isle of Wight, I mean, it's a very small little kind of island anyway, but there's about six or seven schools on there. They got hit by a ransomware attack. 
and it's completely wiped them out. And this was earlier in the, the, the year, just before summer holidays, and completely wiped them out. They lost all their data. Didn't have any recoverable backups um, because they managed to get into the backups as well, I believe. But it got to the stage where they had to delay the, the children coming back to school because they didn't have systems ready. And also got to the stage where when they were ready to take people back to school, they were sending forms out, you know, digital forms, to all parents to fill back in again to get information <laughs> of their children to then set the systems up again from scratch so they can start everything, which, which is just, I mean, that's just nuts to have to start an education system from scratch midway through the year. I, oh, it's just, that's just, I just wouldn't know where to start with that. That's just a big old yes. headache. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It just shows like, well. that's it. And it just shows we, we kind of, we're, we're in the MSP space. So we see this stuff happen all day, every day in the cybersecurity realm. But the reality is out in the real world, which is not the, the MSP world, is that so many businesses are sitting in that exact same precarious state. They just don't know it. And, and I, I, wage that probably 60, 70, 80% of small businesses out there still at the moment are in a state that are probably pretty easy to get in and have the exact same thing happen to them. Their backups are not being managed properly. There's no immutability in the backups and all sorts of stuff. And this, these things are scary as they are. They're also, and I hate to say the word good, but they're also good in a way for the MSP industry because it gives the MSP industry not only fodder, but it opens doors for, for all of these the people that are getting hit by this stuff to actually take it a little bit more seriously. And, yeah. and you've got fodder in the media articles that are coming out that are helping educate all of the, the schools and the, the government departments that are getting hit and all the, the, the industry out there that still have no idea about it. I'm on a, a school board myself and we had a, a very similar conversation the other day. And it was a lot of it was around me educating them on actually risks really are here in the business. And, and it kind of showed me how, how um, underprepared a lot of businesses are out there to, because they just don't understand the risks. And it's, as I said, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's horrible to see that stuff happen. Can you imagine being the, like the, the principal of that business and having to deal with the, the after effects of that? But on the flip side, when you look at it at a macro level, it's good because it's pushing this conversation more forward and pushing it forward. And every single one of these attacks that happens gets everyone else on a heightened state of alert to go and make better decisions to, to help avoid it happening themselves out there. And MSPs have then got the the awesome fodder that they can then go and use in their marketing and in their conversations with their clients and in their TBRs and QBRs with their risk risk conversations to go and at least help people take more, uh, take this whole conversation around it seriously. So as horrible yeah. as it is, it's kind of got to, the ever more hear it happens, the faster we can of, um, get to. Antivirus vendors who would go out and write the viruses to then make people then buy the antivirus <laughs> software. <laughs> yep. Well, if that's a thing, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> creating kind of ransomware things so they go oh we we have cybersecurity protection software over here uh, i don't know if it's too soon to talk ill of the dead but i said john mcafee may have been one of the guys behind that it was the first name that sprang to mind for me as well <laughs> yeah i suspect there was some chicanery back in the day but uh, mm. but there we go so while we're talking about antivirus tools obviously a modern equivalent i would say that's an essential in anybody's uh, toolkit is a vpn uh, virtual private network you know most of us i would imagine most of us on the call here today are either uh, accessing via a vpn or a secure connection we try to encourage our team we try to encourage our clients to use vpns and things but pete you've got uh, you came across an interesting story didn't you about vpn providers buying vpn providers but also buying review sites as well that sounds a little <laughs> bit sus tell us more yeah, I've only kind of briefly touched on it, but it, I, I, I need to make a video on this, actually. But Cape Technologies, they recently bought ExpressVPN, and they've also bought a few other VPN companies. But I also read that they bought some of the review websites where they've then ranked them as number one or number two. <laughs> so they're kind of controlling oh. the whole market, which is obviously just a really bizarre thing. And if anyone knows Cape Technologies, they've got some very suspicious background and malware and things injected into various applications so um there's a there's a whole thing and there's a quite a few articles and blog posts now i've seen of you don't need a vpn anymore websites are now secure enough so you don't need one and obviously the most secure vpn is one that you create into your own systems or into your own networks maybe if you're obviously mm. majority of us yeah. and our, our clients are companies so if you have your own vpn go to your corporate network and then you're safe not relying on these third-party vpn companies because you just don't know who underlying owns or what's Correct. happening with the actual yeah the underlying technology and, and ownership of it as well correct and there's those those companies that are popping up in the space now that are, are popping it to more of a perimeter gateway setup where you're, you're talking companies like toddle and perimeter 81 that are both serving the msp space pretty well uh that are taking the conversation away from just vpns and now now creating these secure 
distributed networks for the businesses to operate in. And um, and sure, you've got to do your due diligence behind who owns the company. But it's those. There are a couple of examples that you can find pretty easily. How the the whole behind the scenes, you can see some auditing around how they get audited to make sure that things are there. But the for traditionally for up until a couple of years ago, that VPN world was one heck of a murky world. Because yeah. uh, anybody out there that could go up and offer a VPN service, um, that there was a, a number of Russian companies that went and offered them. And and all they did, they they weren't polling the logs. They were selling the logs to other people out there with all the data that was in them. And you just go, ah, crap. So you you got to be careful. You got to do your due diligence. But there is, we're lucky in our space in the MSP space that it's matured a, a fair bit. And you got these these perimeter gateway setup ones coming in and and secure distributed networks popping up all around the place from reputable companies nowadays, or far more reputable companies than than what's traditionally been around the place in a VPN crazy world. Yeah. yeah, it's well, definitely we, the we residential use, um, VPN where it's dicey, isn't it? It's the residential ones where, yeah. yes, and, oh, yeah. and, and let me just cast some aspersions that you might be using those VPNs to do something that's not necessarily available in your country, for example. I don't know. Maybe you just want to watch Netflix in a different region. Who knows? But I'm sure there are other, other reasons why you might use those. And so the whole idea is that you want something that doesn't log and doesn't track your details, doesn't track whatever it was that you were doing on those VPNs. You can't trust like most of those guys, exactly as Pete says, because you don't know who the holding company is. I would be absolutely flabbergasted if, as over in the States, the US um, didn't have you know, a, a division of the CIA that has set up their own VPN server so they can sit there and watch what's happening. Right. <laughs> Just throwing things out there. Um, I guarantee you in 10 wearing. seconds, this feed's going to be cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. What? I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> but no, it's, I think, yeah, in the, in the business space, there's definitely some great VPN and yeah. you know, secure access, secure edge providers that we can look at. We have that that luxury. I think it's more the, the home user market where people are trying to get those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, hide my ass or whatever they're called. Uh, VPN yeah. providers are like, yeah, okay. We, yeah. You pay your money, you take your choice, I think. Yeah. What happened yeah. is all of those resi ones that were out there started going, oh, there's more money to be made out of business. And they're still using the same shady tactics, taking another step uh, up yeah, the, yeah, the ladder. Yeah. And, and just you see a few of them where it's just been this this VPN software for, for forever and they've got shady tactics all around the place. And then next thing is the same company named forbusiness.com and they've got their business version out there. And, you know, they're using the same shady tactics behind the scenes, selling the data and, and whatever. But we're in the, the especially in the MSP space, we're kind of pretty good because there's channel only partners as well. So, you know, they're not going out to a residential market and they're, they're, they're maintaining that channel only exclusivity and, and it gives a whole lot of credence to, the, to that company that does something like that. Well, we use a uh, privatized uh, VPN uh, internally, company born out of uh, Israel, and we've used them for the last couple of years. It's been really good. It's an MSP-friendly product, and they're branching out into, you know, not just the VPN. They're doing a whole uh, suite of cybersecurity products. But I did um, a podcast interview, Tub Talk Live, a couple of weeks ago with our friend uh, Chris Tate from uh, MyKey, and they're doing some really interesting stuff on securing hardening web browsers. And again, all very MSP friendly, you know, an extension that you install in like Chrome or whatever. And it, you know, I'm running it right now and it stops you doing stupid stuff. So when you go does to it, a does website, it stop you from streaming? Like, is that why you went like this before? <laughs> no, I'm going to do that every now and again just to freak <laughs> yeah. you out. But, um, <laughs> It just stops you clicking on links that you shouldn't do. It says, oh, when you're inputting credit card information, if you're putting a password in that's been uh, breached, it will go, oh, yeah, that's been part of a breach. There's lots of very cool things that it's doing there. And, you know, I mentioned, Mikey, there's a, a number of applications in this market. But it's really cool to see that traditionally cybersecurity products would come to the MSP market sort of last. We would have to sort of shoehorn, wouldn't we, enterprise cybersecurity products for, for small business customers. But now, you know, they're being built MSP friendly from day one. So it's really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Now I've not played with that uh, browser, you know, extension that they have, but it sounds really, really nice and great for MSP markets in that it's actually it can be centrally managed and then it's just pushed out to the devices and whatever browser that they use. Like if it's a Chromium-based browser, so it'll work with Edge or Chrome or Firefox or any of those type things. It automatically installs, and so the user can't get around, you know, those controls. So from the MSP yeah. perspective, it's easy to manage those centrally and have like a single set of policies for their customer and you know, without the headache of having to, you know, micromanage those things. So it does sound like a nice solution. I'm yet to see it myself, but it sounds it sounds really good. Like they've thought about it for what MSPs do. Yeah. 
Yeah. So moving on, another news story that came up. We talked about Facebook. We've talked a little bit about Google. So traditionally, they've been across, uh, they've had uh, European offices <laughs> over there in Ireland. And Ireland have recently said <laughs> that they're going to change. They're going to uh, set a minimum tax for tax firms of 15%, removing the tax haven for companies like Facebook and Google and, and Apple and things. So I think this is like, uh, it's a quiet story at the moment, but could turn into something really loud uh, down the line because I've, I've done a tour of the behind the scenes of the Google uh, office in Ireland and it is like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory for like tech people. <laughs> it is ridiculous. They have made a significant investment over there, Google in Dublin and the other tech companies. So, uh, yeah, Pete, tell us more about this story and what you think, what you see the implications might be. I, I think this was actually submitted by Scott, but um, I will certainly add in that um, it, it's nice to know because I remember very early in my days of running my MSP, I had a £20,000 uh, corporation tax bill to pay. And that year, Facebook declared they were going to pay a five thousand pound tax. <laughs> I was like, "Hang on a minute!" I was like doing whatever I was doing, like a hundred k or something at the time. And uh, how did Facebook get away with paying five thousand pounds back? So it's it's good to hear. That's for sure. It's good to hear they're going to kind of pay their uh, their fair dues without using all the tax loopholes because bigger companies have, you know, bigger teams and legal kind of. Uh, and financial advisors that can kind of figure out ways to squirrel away your money without paying probably what is a fair tax bill, to be fair. Correct. We, we all just went through the process of all of those big vendors saying, hey, from now on, you're going to be billed out of Ireland. And now I think in the next year, they're all going to switch and say, hey, from now on, you're going to be billed out of the Seychelles or some wherever next has got the, the 0% tax sitting out of it. Yeah. But yeah, interesting. This, I think this is going to have implications down the road, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so, sure, we'll so see a over... bunch of vendors change their terms. <laughs> definitely will i think um so it's it's a new tax regime so there is actually an overall tax increase of 12 and a half percent up to 15 percent so that's actually going to hit some of those pharmaceutical companies that are also headquartered there but these um tech companies have managed to get away with being under this low tax regime yeah. for such a long time and so for them to now come along and suddenly go yeah like it's gonna be 15 percent. this is your minimum yeah. tax and, and we're taking away that low tax threshold it's going to hit them. It's going to hit them really hard. And I think it's, you know, we probably all have that feeling of just going, like Pete said, it's about time. I have got to pay my corporation tax, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, kind of, they've put it at the, the price point too, that's probably got the pain of moving somewhere else is not enough for these, yeah. these companies as well. So in Australia, the, the corporate tax rate is 26.5% or it changes a little bit um, based on your company structure. But when it's 15%, they're, they're probably most companies are going to look at it and go, ah, oh, like for me to change somewhere else now and do go through all of that work uh, to maybe save a couple of percent here is not worth it. But out here in Australia, it makes sense to go from 26 down to 15, but to go from where they are, if they still maintain one of the lowest tax rates in the world, no one's going to, the pain of moving is not going to be there enough for them to go want to move anywhere else. No, I think you're exactly right. And I wonder if, like I always have in my uh, skeptical mind from way, way back in the day, like <laughs> Microsoft Office and Microsoft Windows was really easy to pirate. And so everybody kind of had Windows yeah. and Microsoft Office. <laughs> and you know what? Like fast forward like 10, 15 years later, like, yeah, you can you can still keep using Office, but it's on a subscription. Get them addicted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. First hit's free. Like they've they've got them into Ireland. Yeah, do you know what? Low yeah, tax rate. Bait and switch. Business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get in here. Come on. And then like, oh, look. You've, oh, how many people yeah. have you got employed here? Wow, that's huge. 15%. Uh, I would I would believe that um that that conspiracy theory if it was something other than a government that had gone and put it in place. <laughs> I don't think any government in the world could be that smart to, to think that far into the future to go and do something like that. But um I get it. Uh, you, you, the thought always goes through your mind is that it's just a, just a bait and switch in here. And if it is, damn, someone pulled a damn good play in it. Like absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. So talking of uh, Apple and, and Facebook, especially as well, there's a couple of things that have uh, cropped up. Pete, you saw a story, didn't you, about the Facebook Pixel, uh, the new conversion uh, API due to the iOS privacy changes. Tell us a little bit more about that. But I also want to wrap it up as well. That's something that's affected all of us, I think. All of us are into email marketing. The recent changes uh, over Apple Mail and yeah. uh, and the ability to see whether your emails have been opened or not. But Pete, tell us about the fix, uh, Facebook Pixel, first of all. Yeah, I'll, I'll cover it off very briefly. It's really just a, a pointer that obviously with the new 
iOS changes that have come through and everyone hitting that kind of, no, I don't want to share my information button when they get prompted for it. But it destroys, obviously, all the information that Facebook will send out to, you know, share with other people. So there is a, a kind of fix and a workaround for that. And it just basically means if you are using the Facebook Pixel currently, you need to go and install the conversions API on your website instead or kind of in addition right. to so it's just really a, a reminder and go and Google for the Facebook conversions API and that will then link through from Facebook through to websites, so you know, kind of what's coming through. So it's just a yeah, helpful have, reminder. Have you done it yet, Pete? I haven't. I need oh, to yeah. really get onto Facebook. I didn't do a huge amount with Don't do it yourself. Outsource it. It is a horrendous yeah, process. <laughs> is, is it really? Oh yeah. Very, very oh, for for the tools that we use, it's kind of a pretty complicated process behind the scenes. So one of our tools was kind of click the button and it does it for you. The others give you this 27-page SOP to go and, and set these things up to go and get all the cappy stuff connected to your, your site and back through. So it is a bit of a process and a half, but it's all about this whole privacy conversation where Apple's they're they're now biggest core value is all about privacy now, and they're going to be pushing even more and more and more on that. And the more they push on that, the more tactics they're going to change like this, like way that they allow Facebook to get data, the way they allow email trackers to get data. They're pushing so much back on that that it's going to cause all of these different vendors and all different tactics that we all use in our marketing to kind of lose a little bit of the, the, the data that we get in there. But as with anything, the world will keep turning and figure out ways around it or figure out new ways to track things or different ways to track things and there's always there's always a tool out there that will get you the data that you you really need out there. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. He's got to figure out how to I've use had it. Quite a few emails from well, e- e- email you know CRM systems just going. Yes, your emails will mark as much higher open rate because of these new changes. We're yeah. working on it. We're figuring it yeah. out. We'll let you know when we do. <laughs> yeah. So so our provider active campaign literally blacklisted all of the the IP addresses that Apple Mail's software goes and checks it from, so they don't track any of it anymore. <laughs> But it meant that our open rates, instead of going up, went down, which to oh, what right. is realistically a more accurate number, which to me is fine. I'm all for accurate numbers because, you know, in the past, even cybersecurity tools, for instance, there's a number of cybersecurity tools out there that will go and open an email before the person's opened it. So I know when we go in and send an email to our, our list, we'll go and send it to five, ten thousand people within 20 seconds a thousand of them have opened it <laughs> and you go, well, that ain't work. And, and another 500 have clicked on a link within five minutes. And you know that that's not as right either because that's just the cybersecurity tools just testing whether the links are, are malicious or whatever in there before they go and deliver that email into the person's mailbox. So tracking of attribution tracking in, in email and Facebook ads and everything is just this, this mess of madness at the moment. And it probably will be for the next foreseeable future. Yeah. So what what should we do with this, you know, in terms of we can't rely on the open rates, we can't rely on the click through rates. What's the way forward here? Don't do any marketing anymore. Give it up and um yeah, forget and you're done. Yeah. <laughs> well the reality is click through still most of the time. It just depends on cybersecurity tools kind of sometimes do that. But if you're like what's on the other side of that click? If you can figure out what's on the other side of that click, if you're looking at perhaps you're sending them to a blog post on your website or you're sending them somewhere. If you've got your Google Analytics or your analytics tracking what the outcome of that particular click is, that's where you're going to be getting the real data. Is that outcome being driven to it? Maybe it's engaging with a post or maybe it's uh, downloading a PDF or whatever it happens to be. That's the real thing to be tracking, not the metrics that we're getting out of the email platforms now because they are kind of not great anymore. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Let's change tact a little bit then. So we've beaten up Apple, we've beaten up Facebook, we've beaten up Facebook <laughs> providers. We're going to have no sponsors. Everybody. This next one, this next topic, I don't know which way it's going to go. I've got my personal opinion about it, but let's talk about the Windows 11 upgrade and how we're seeing it impact the MSP industry. Scott, I'll turn to you. You are like one of Microsoft's favorite partners. They love you, man, because you, you get their products out there. You do great stuff with it. So I'm going to put you on the spot first of all. The Windows 11 upgrade, what are you seeing across your clients? What are you seeing internally? How is it going to impact how you do business? So I think I think the honest answer is for like individuals, yeah, and, and, and home tech users, it, it's not that big of a change. It's a nice, you know, UI refresh. It's it's pretty much mostly the same. Genuinely, if you look at the back end, it still says it's Windows 10 dot whatever dot whatever. <laughs> it's just got a really nice front end to it. And it is a really nice front end. Genuinely, I've been running it for about six or eight weeks now uh, from pre-release right through to release. And it's lovely. It's stable. It's happy. It's, it's nice and quick. But if you're a gamer, 
I would not recommend that you upgrade to it because there are some very well-documented issues where you're getting frame rate hits of up to 25% in some of the popular titles. There's also an issue with some of the new AMD Ryzen chipsets where there's a, a bug in the code that's actually slowing them down by another 10%. They did issue a patch for that on Tuesday. That hasn't fixed it. It's actually highlighted another issue. So there's another patch next Tuesday. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're like a home regular user, go for it. It's it's a great cool upgrade. If you're a gamer, whoop, just just hold the phone for a second. But in business, I think the honest answer is no one's leaping to Windows 11. Okay, we the the hardware requirements that are in there for this, these new security features around the the processor and the TPM chip and all this stuff that we need for this new security and and let's be honest, we need it right because this is all the stuff that came from from Meltdown and Spectre and all those kind of things that happened to us back in 2018. The problem is that the new operating system has been coded for those chips, those processor chips that came out from 2018 onwards, late 2018, early 2019. So you can pretty much look at your company, look at look at your business and say, how old's our hardware? Because if we bought it 2018 and earlier, it isn't going to work with Windows 11. And, and mm. let's be honest, when you look at the specs, they're going, hey, you know, you need two gig of RAM and 64 gig of disk space. And wouldn't it be nice if you had this process? And you're just like, man, do not bother. Like eight gig of RAM, an SSD or an NVMe drive, you know, don't put this on a spinning disk for goodness sake. Mm. You, I think the opportunities here for MSPs so go and talk to their customers and go, right, where are we in the hardware refresh cycle? Because let's talk to you about new hardware ready for Windows 11. Sure, there's going to be some people who've already upgraded in the last couple of years, and they can make a staged move across to Windows 11. But for a lot of companies, their hardware is too old, and it just won't do it. And it's probably a good time to get them onto new hardware. Yeah. And I'm assuming because it's built on the same Windows 10 code base that most line of business vendors are going to be pretty compatible with it pretty quickly, not like the the XP to Windows 7 shift or whatever we had when it was a completely different code base and it went for years before vendors caught up. But I'm assuming this one will be fairly quick so that MSPs can get to the point where they're, they're safe rolling it out to most clients. Uh, on new machines, I'm not talking about setting it up on existing ones, but on new machines, because of that compatibility will probably much be, I can't imagine there'll be too many compatibility issues with, with apps on there. No, there's actually a guarantee from Microsoft called their App Assure program, which means ah, that right. if it ran on Windows 7, it'll run on Windows 10, it'll run on Windows ah, 11. Nice. Right. And if it doesn't, you can send your app to Microsoft and they will do whatever it takes to make it go. So there is, there is actually a guaranteed program that sits behind that. And that's been there since since Windows 10 launch, actually. Um, the other thing about Windows 11 is it's 64-bit only. So again, right. if you've got some of those 32-bit apps, then actually yeah. it'll run. We, we've seen this before from 16-bit to 32-bit, 32-bit to 64. It'll run in a little, essentially a little emulator in the background of Windows. You won't even notice. It'll just run. Jez on chat is saying, yeah, those guys are going to be running for Windows 10 for the next year or two at least. And that's the, that's the great news, right? We've got a choice. You don't have to rush into this. Yeah. Windows 10 is supported right the way through till 2025. So there is no, oh, crap, it's come out now. We have to upgrade. You don't have yeah. to. It isn't going to be forced upon you. It isn't just going to trigger in an automatic update. Hey, we've updated you to Windows <laughs> 11. None of that's happening. This is, this is, it's your choice you know, for the next few years as to when you upgrade. That's awesome for the MSP too, right? And it's forcing hardware refreshes within a five-year period, essentially, with people. Out yeah. there. And that's going to get all the, a really good reason for all the stragglers that don't like to refresh their hardware in an appropriate timescale to go and have a reason to go and do it now. And so I think for the MSPs in the next couple of years, going through that kind of all the clients that are below whatever it is, 2018 hardware, or they don't have the TPMs and whatever in it, that's a yeah. very easy way now to force hardware cycles, uh, hardware refresh cycles in there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think some of the good news as well is like that if you're already moving into like, you know, Intune instead of RMM using that for your endpoint manager, all of those controls are the same. So it's exactly the same right. for Windows 10 as for Windows 11. Right. It now yeah, says right. Windows 10 and later. So those policies right. are just the same. Um, Jez has said they've deployed an RNO script to block the upgrade just in case people press buttons. And that's a really good <laughs> point because yes. you, as the MSP, you want to control when your clients upgrade. I think it's, it's well worth having the conversation. They should get some you know, maybe some technology evangelists within the organization, maybe get them onto Windows 11 first, work with the MSP, get some advocates within the business, get some understanding, and then stage that rollout sometime between now and 2025. For God's sake, don't leave it until 2025 and then suddenly do a massive <laughs> upgrade because yeah. no one's going to thank you for that. But let's, let's yeah. you know, let's phase it and in. That's 
that's an important point just on that is is any MSP that listens to this, you if you're talking to your clients now about Windows 11, you're already talking to them too late because the media is talking about Windows 11 and you as their MSP need to be one of the sources that they know that they can get information from. So even now, if you're saying the things like Scott's saying now is, hey, it's out, it's it's ready, it's looking awesome, but we're just going to hold off just for a moment because of X, Y, and Z and we're going to do a stage rollout with you. Even if you just have that micro conversation with your clients, you're still making sure that they know that you're a trusted source of news out there. Because the last thing you want is for them to come to you and say, hey, so when do I get to upgrade to Windows 11? And you've never had a conversation with them about it. Because that means that they've lost faith or they'll lose faith in you being their partner that's actually got their best interests at heart. So it's a, if you're not out there and you haven't, if you're out there and you haven't had that conversation yet with your clients, do something, send an email, record a quick video, Talk to them in, in your, your QBRs or your TBRs or just next time you're speaking to them, just at least plant some seeds out there so that you, your clients know that you can be talked to about it. Because otherwise, they'll find someone else that talks to them about it and, and see you later. Yeah, yeah and also, I was going to say, being, start, start running it yourself in the tech teams, in your MSP, because once again, all the buttons have moved in the control panel and you're going to want to know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pete, go being, on. Being slightly controversial here, I think I saw, I can't remember who it was or where it was, but there was a, there was a blog post that actually said, the the fact that all MSPs and most IT companies are trying to advise people to avoid Windows 11 for now was everything that's wrong with the MSP world or, or something to that kind of intent. Because it, if it's, and and whether I believe it or not, but if it's more secure, should we not be making more of a proactive effort to get people mm. to Windows 11? Because yeah. it's going to yeah. just instantly upgrade the level of security because of the TPM chips and all the other kind of built-in security. Yeah, and no, so, I, To I me, it's totally pushing that, that conversation... Yeah. Yeah, to me, it's 100% that is that if it's ready to use and it's more secure, it's having those conversations right now with your clients so that you can actually start planning now, not in the five years that Scott just talked about that that, that some people will push it to. This is, I'm not saying to go out to people and just say, hey, just go and flick the button right now. Do it in a staged approach so that you can test it internally, make sure it's going to work with all their line of business vendors. Microsoft is saying that it will, but you're still, no matter what you still want to do a little bit of a stage test out at every client and do it do a, a staged approach yeah. to it but do it quicker do it quick before before someone else comes in and says hey we'll get you all up to windows 11 really quickly if your current guys haven't got you on windows 11 by now like six months into the process what are they doing maybe maybe they need to be speeding things up yeah, yeah i think it makes you sound five in the uk um will have had uh electric electric cars will have taken over because that's when the uh <laughs> <laughs> but i think it makes you sound like uh, like a naive you know tech company if you're just going oh fear and danger and doubt and don't do it it's too scary you can't yeah. upgrade now you can't trust anything that comes out on the first version you you sound crazy you sound yeah. like tin hat foil wearing crazy but it, it, exactly what we've said here like there are things to be aware of. It's it's a technology change at the end of the day. And although for you know most users, it's a subtle change, not everyone in business adapts to those changes easily. And that's why it Correct. needs to be a phase rollout because we've got to remember, it's all about people. It's not about the computers. We've got to make sure we bring the people along that journey. That's Correct. all it is. And as long as you do that, and like Nigel says, you own that conversation with them, it'll be great. But yeah, don't don't just sit back, spread the fear and doubt, and then say, no, it's, it's not ready. It's not right. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, just like people yeah. spreading the fear and doubt that you shouldn't go to the cloud, right? They're the same people that are going to be spreading the same thing. Yeah. We all saw yeah, where exactly. that conversation ended up. Absolutely, yeah. I'll yeah. tell you, my credit yeah. card has taken a hammering because the kit here at Shea Tub, let's just say the, the Windows upgrade advisor said, uh-uh, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. He yeah, said, this is again. not going to run on your Atari yeah. 800X now, which is outrageous, <laughs> outrageous. But yeah, my credit card has taken a hammering, so I've bought quite, quite a few uh, new PCs. In fact, the only machine in the household that did work that is going to be able to upgrade to Windows 11 was my Microsoft Surface Pro. All of the others were like, no, that's not going to work. So yeah. On the subject of cutting edge tech, let's lighten the, the mood a little bit. We're all geeks. We all love the techie stuff. What have we seen out there that's very cool in uh, exciting new technology? Pete, you live and breathe this stuff. We only have to look behind you to see how cool a life you live. Tell us about the new tech that's in Pete Madison's life. The new tech? Oh, Christ. The, the new tech, this literally yesterday, and thanks to Jez for showing me. I've, it's really boring. I've got a, uh, a monitor arm that actually supports the weight of my 49-inch ultra-wide. It's this Ergotron thing. It costs a bomb. It's like 200 pounds or so, but my God, does it make a difference having the space, reclaim the space underneath your monitor. 
So I know it's really boring, but hey, it's little things. <laughs> little things can still please me. <laughs> I love those cool. first world problems. I didn't have yeah. a monitor arm that was strong enough to hold my 49 inch widescreen. screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, other than that, I mean, lots of my world, kind of my, my other half of my kind of business world is full of kind of tech reviews and those kind of things. There's new iPhones have come out, loving that. I'm going tomorrow to pick up the new Apple Watch. We've got the Google Pixel 6 coming out next week or being announced next week. So there's a lot of new tech. There's this whole thing, Techtober, I think people call it, because it's just full of <laughs> yeah. product announcements. We had the Microsoft announcements with their new kind of Surface Studio foldy things. They, those look really interesting. I really Ooh, want, want to get my hands yeah. on those. I bet they're pricey, though, I guess. I don't know if Scott's had a look at how much those cost. They're, they're about two and a half grand if you want the really nice one. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone and ordered the new Surface Duo 2 flip phone. Because right. I took a, I took a huge amount of heat when I reviewed the first one. <laughs> so, the first one was so, so good that you wanted to get the second one. Oh my god! And so I reviewed the first one. I wanted it to be good last October, and I hated it. It was horrendous. And, and I made like a short video, which is like the most hated video I've got on my YouTube channel. <laughs> and then I tried to make like a fair review. Like I'd run it for a month, and I'm like, look, I just don't get on with it. And here's really constructively, guys. Here are the things I don't like about it. Why I can't use it as my daily driver phone. And literally, the comments are just boo, you suck. Oh, and I'm like, he just wanted to hate it. I'm like, guys, like, oh wow. All right. So, like, the new ones come out, and I said, if they make another one, if they make a Gen 2, I bet they'll have got rid of some of those those bugs that I didn't like. So it will be in my hands in two weeks, and I'm going to see. I'm going to see. I don't know what I'm going to see, but I'm going to see. <laughs> I'm going to see hatred in the comments again. If you want to get some engagement just before Christmas, find the latest, like, hottest bit of tech and make a video about how bad it is. That's your Oculus Quest, right? Yeah. Here's yeah, all the things wrong with Oculus Quest. <laughs> did, yeah. did you end up, I remember, Pete, you bought the Pixel 5, uh, and I, I said to you, I just swapped from iPhone across to the Pixel 5, and I hate it. Did you have, did you have like, and I, it's very rare for me to hate technology. And I know I many it. people have said it. This thing, I can't even send an alarm on it without it having a bug. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe that's me nowadays. Maybe I'm getting too old for tech. But this thing's the buggiest device I've ever had in my life. Um, and I'm, I'm ready to throw it out a window and go back to the iPhone world. But I don't, I suspect I'm not normal there did you end up having did you enjoy it when you reviewed yours and you got that that five in i, I didn't have any bugs that i know of and i think right. i tried some of the specific ones you, you mentioned and i couldn't see those same things whether it's maybe a different i, I know some phones weirdly with pixels there seem to be some different cpus right them, yeah. so i don't know if that's, oh, that's just that's weird like when i when i set an alarm like just in the clock i set an alarm and um and it's like often I'll have six or eight alarms a day just to remind me of all the, the upcoming appointments that I've got. And sometimes one alarm would work throughout the day. The other seven wouldn't work. Other times all of them would work. But when the alarm went off, the only way to stop the alarm from ringing was to actually turn the phone off and back on. It was, <laughs> I went, ah, just throw it against the wall. But that's, there's probably a little bit of user error in there for me now that I don't play Pete, with, tech with anyway. Was that with the review unit that we conspired to send across to, to Nigel? Did that one get there? Yeah, okay? probably. <laughs> the one that broke it. <laughs> it might have to do the fact that I dropped it the, the day after I bought the thing and shattered the screen. It's probably something in there doing it as well. I don't think I've ever had a phone where I haven't shattered the screen within the first week. It's kind of par for the course of phones now, nowadays. So we, we've talked about new tech. I want to talk about old tech, an Ooh. older technology person, per se. Scott, you and I got really excited this week. Captain Kirk is going into space, or rather actor William Shatner is uh, headed off yeah. to space, isn't he? He's He's been to space. He was in space for 11 minutes. Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, so the guy's 90, like 19. year old William Shatner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did he he's go up in? He's a 90-year-old man. Did he he went into Richard Branson near enough to class as being in space. He didn't go into like outer space. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's that like sub oh, or hey, orbital area. Yeah. Was it using Richard Branson's <laughs> one? I was gonna say no, this is like went in, thing, really. no, he went in the Jeff Bezos. Fathers. Oh, did he? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, he went up. He was there for like 11 minutes. He's like the oldest guy to now have ever officially been in space at 90 years old. Right. I don't know how he's and, still going. He still, he looks amazing for 90. Just for context, incredible. and I probably will be booed off this show and kicked out in a minute, but Captain oh, Kirk is Star Trek, right? 
Ah, it's Captain shit. Coke. Where's the kick Nigel, Nigel out button? <laughs> Nigel is universally loved by the uh, tech community, and then he goes and says something like that. Ruins the rep. I can see the comments filling up at the moment. Who is this person? Why is he nuts in Star Trek? <laughs> and the same goes with Doctor Who. Sorry, Paul Green. I know you and and oh. and Richard are big fans of that as well. But I have never watched an episode. I, don't worry, you're not missing anything. Just watch the ones from the seventies and then stop there. <laughs> <laughs> Jason says, "Hand in your geek card, Nigel Moore." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can I, can I hand this thing in as well? This bloody damn phone. <laughs> Man, in the whole audience. Yeah. back for an iPhone, the decent phones. Yeah, I think I will be very shortly. My wife just got the new one, and so or the second last new one. So I'm going to be probably following suit pretty soon. I like to keep these things for for three or four years because I don't like changing technology very often. But this one's not going to last me very long. That's well, that concludes the uh, the grumpy old man technology show. Thank you. For <laughs> <laughs> and then Nigel complaining about his phone show. <laughs> there's there's already the a positive news. And we can't have that. We, we have to be a bit more upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> and did I hear that there's actually some listeners on here? I don't know how to check that stuff yet, but you said there's some people yeah, talking yeah. in the chat. We've got some you should see chat this. on the right-hand side. Yeah, yeah, there's a chat box on yeah, the right. Should I click a button to see chat? Nigel, I don't know if you can set up something that's like tech, oh. the techtribe.com slash YouTube. That would be quite a handy um, okay. order URL to have because that makes it easier whilst we haven't got the URL. So that will be uh, – obviously, if you watch right, okay. Tribe, yeah. Check the links down in the description for wherever you're watching this. If you're on LinkedIn or YouTube or wherever it's going to, Facebook, then grab the link, subscribe to the main YouTube channel because hopefully in future it will be just on the main Tech Tribe channel. It gets a lot easier just to focus on one one kind of show. And, um, yeah, make sure you're subscribed. Right. Awesome. Well, I, I just found the chat box, so maybe I should look through that. Now we should start the show again. <laughs> <laughs> Great. One hour and eight minutes in. Let's do it again from the top. Yep, absolutely. Can you guys uh, just hang on? I'm going to pause everybody's videos. I don't have to pause Richard's because he does his automatically. I so I'm going to pause everybody and yeah, and start again. Um, Javier's <laughs> on here as well. I just noticed. Oh, now everybody's in here. That's cool. Our first ever show. We actually had people. <laughs> yeah, I like people. it. As we said, the goal at the moment. Oh, sorry. The comments that I could see coming in on my LinkedIn feed didn't come into the, the chat on the side, but my replies to their comments were right. coming in on the chat. It's, it's a bit bizarre. Right. Right. Lessons we'll figure out some tech time. stuff. We will be um the goal with this is we're gonna try it out as a bit of an experiment for a period of time. We'll we'll run it weekly and we're gonna jump on and we're gonna talk stuff, we're gonna talk business stuff that matters in the MSP world. We might talk a little bit of mindset stuff, what goes on between these crazy the, between the crazy wars of our minds. We're gonna talk some marketing stuff and some sales stuff and some geeky tech stuff and some some business stuff. And I think it's gonna be a heck of a lot of fun. We'll class it as an experiment because if it's not fun and we break everything, then we can at least cancel it without any fallback. Uh, but I can't see that happening. I think we're gonna have this thing going off in the next couple of months as we start to get a bunch of subscribers. If we tell people where to go and click it, what are you gonna do? You gotta say down there, up there, over there, click a subscribe button. <laughs> click down That's there, the, there's a subscribe button. Down there. Or actually, if you're down, on LinkedIn, down. then there won't be a subscribe button. So you need to go to the YouTube channel. So do follow you? the link right. on YouTube. Search so, for the tech drive, but it, there seems to be about 10 other tech tribe channels on, right. on YouTube. Well, we'll set so, the techtribe.com slash YouTube. We'll set that to go to wherever the heck it's supposed to go. The techtribe.com forward slash YouTube. And we'll put a redirect that goes somewhere in there. Right. Are we got anything else to run through or are we done for our first ever thing here? What else do we need to do in we the We're done. Right. Uh, we're yeah. done because I'm terrified of freezing. <laughs> <laughs> and I've paid a lot of money for two internet connections here. And, and I'm Dial the only one who's nowadays. So we're, I'm going to get straight on the phone to my internet providers and say, what what on earth is going on here? So, yeah, they're going to tell you to upgrade from their pile-up plan. We'll finish things <laughs> off. So thank you very much for everyone who for joining us. Thanks for everyone who's got involved in the comments, in the chat, whoever's joined up on the Facebook groups, on the LinkedIn, or Facebook, wherever you're watching. So there'll be this show probably similar time again next week. I think that's the plan. Yep. There will be a podcast. We're going to get that uploaded onto the podcast platforms too, so you can listen to just the audio when you're out and about on your commute or what have you. But um, make sure you like the video, subscribe down below if you're not already, and we will see you all in the next show. Thanks for joining us.